Good morning, everybody. Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray a simple prayer that you would give us ears to hear, that you would help us, and in our hearing that we would understand, and in our understanding that you would grow us and shape us and change us for the sake of your glory. Amen. Well, if you've yet to grab a Bible, I encourage you to do so and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3 is found on page 227 of the Pew Bible. For some of us in the room, one of the worst forms of punishment is the silent treatment. You know what I'm talking about. The silent treatment is when two parties... Uh, get to an impasse in the midst of a conflict, and as a result, one of the parties withdraws and completely disengage from communication and from contact with the other person. Now, if you are highly introverted or just like your alone time, maybe you like the silent treatment. Maybe it's a welcome change for you. But for many of us, the silent treatment is torturous. Amy could torture me almost no more than by giving me the silent treatment. And she knows this. And thankfully she's a good woman and tortures me very little. The silent treatment represents a breakdown. It represents a stalling point. It represents a relationship that is fractured. And the reason why people employ the silent treatment is usually twofold. Number one, it is out of their own place of anger. But number two, it is to remind the other what they are missing. And it can be very effective. But when the silence is finally broken, what happens is amazing. That gives us cause to turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Because we see in some ways a similar dynamic between God and his people. You see, when we begin chapter 3, we see that God is silent. And this short sentence of verse 1 says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That short sentence might initially just seem to us to be a description of the historical reality that's happening. Until you pause and consider its implications. God was silent. The primary way that God interacted with humanity was by speaking. (laughs) And here we see that he was silent. And this interaction between God and humanity, by God speaking, was the defining, in many ways, the defining marker of their interaction with him all the way back from the beginning. Consider just a few examples with me. God merely spoke and creation came into being. God spoke warning Noah of the impending flood, and then he spoke again the promise that it would never happen again. God spoke to Abraham and gave him the covenant promises that he would be the father of the nations. God spoke to Joseph in a dream. 
God spoke to call Moses out of the wilderness to go be the deliverer of his people in Egypt. And then he spoke again to Moses on the mountaintop so that the people would receive the law. And then God raised up prophets and judges as time went by. People who were speaking God-given words to the people to encourage them, to correct them, to guide them. God spoke. And when God spoke, his people knew that he was present. They knew that he cared for them. When God spoke, they knew that he was for them. But now, he was silent. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. You might summarize them by saying that God continued to speak and his people continued to disregard his word. And so he stopped speaking for a season. We see the people of Israel, the end of the book of Judges and the beginning of this book of 1 Samuel, the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what they wanted to do regardless of what God had said. We see the many sought after a personalized form of religion that catered to their preferences or their desires or their personal goals, regardless of what God had said. We see that now the priesthood of Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas were corrupt, and in their corruption they were treating the offerings of God with contempt. They were blaspheming him for the sake of their own personal gain. And so God's silence here was not a mere petty, silent treatment that we might have with each other in the midst of a quarrel. No, this silence was the silence of judgment. And the effects of the silence were devastating. Because with God's voice, the people knew that they had someone to contend for them. But with silence... The memories of such things faded off into the distance. With God's voice through the prophets, the people had guidance and correction, but with silence, they were left to wander in the darkness. And if wandering in the darkness wasn't bad enough, they were left to wander in the darkness with no voice to lead them out of it. The silence was deafening. Did you know that an estimated 500,000 tons of water rush over Niagara Falls every minute of the day? It's really quite an amazing thing. On March 29, 1948, the falls suddenly stopped. People living within the sound of Niagara Falls were awakened by the overwhelming silence that they did not regularly experience. And they actually believed, many of them, that the silence was the sign that the world was coming to an end. It was 30 hours before the rush of water was restored. What happened? Well, 
Heavy winds had set the ice fields of Lake Erie into motion, and tons of ice jammed into the head of the Niagara River entrance near Buffalo, and it stopped the flow of the river almost completely until the ice shifted again. And the silence was striking. There's an analogy there. There's a picture for us that the flow of God's grace in our lives through his word is sometimes blocked by our cold indifference to it. And so in this sense, the idea of God speaking to us at all is really quite amazing. The fact that God actually speaks to us, that he has given humanity his word, that his word is the vehicle for his action, that it is the revelation for himself, that it is comfort in times of trouble, that it is the giver of hope for our future. God blesses us richly, not by silence, <laughs> but by speaking. And I think about all the types of implications that it has for today. I mean, today, of course, we live in a time where God has given us a more incomplete word, that we're no longer dependent on prophets to raise up and to speak God's words to us, that he's given us the inspiration of the scriptures by his Holy Spirit, that through the guidance of the Spirit of God, we have the Old Testament law and the prophets and the writings, we have the New Testament gospels and the epistles and the apocalyptic literature, and so what we call today God's word is not the next word that's going to come up from the prophet that wanders into town, but God has given us his word in the Bible. And in this sense, God is always speaking. So the question becomes, if God is always speaking today, is there ever a sense in which we see the dynamic of 1 Samuel chapter 3? Is there ever a sense in which the word of the Lord is rare in these days? And I think the answer is yes. The problem, however, doesn't originate with God being silent. <laughs> the problem originates either with the ones who are the mouthpiece for God's word or the ones who are the receivers of God's word. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But consider the story with me further, please. Verses 2 through 10 and on, we see the story of what God is doing in the midst of this little tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is held between the young boy Samuel, who's being raised up in the line of the priesthood as he's serving God, and the sitting priest Eli. God comes to Samuel in the night and he calls him Samuel, Samuel. Samuel arises and he goes to his priest Eli and he says, yes, sir, I'm here for you called me. And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. <laughs> and this happens three times. Samuel, Samuel, until Eli perceives what's going on. Now, verse 7 tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Eli did, 
presumably. And so he instructs the young boy to respond to the Lord and to wait for him. And when he did, God spoke. The God who had been silent spoke. And he didn't just speak to anybody. He didn't speak to Eli, the priest who was poor of physical sight and who had no vision in the land for the people, spiritually speaking. No, he spoke to this young boy, Samuel. And the beginning of God re-engaging his people, of moving from silence to direction, of moving from shattered relationship to renewed relationship, the beginning of God re-engaging these people who have been wandering in all kinds of different directions was through him speaking. And he delivers the word of the Lord to the prophet. And the prophet in turn delivers it to the people. And that leads us to the main point, I think, of this text. The story is meant to show us a very simple reality. That it is a wonderful, wonderful thing when God speaks to his people. In fact, when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. <laughs> That's the thrust. And we see it at the beginning and at the end by way of contrast. Verse 1, we mentioned it a moment ago, the word of the Lord was rare in the land. But then at the end of the text, verse 21, we see that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And then in the very next verse in chapter 4, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he in turn passes it on to the people. God is speaking again. And this is the thrust that he wants us to see. He's speaking again to his people. He's speaking to them. And by speaking to them, he's going to do things. And when he speaks to us, when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. And so look with me at a few details of the story because I think they give us a glimpse of the character of God in the midst of this dynamic of him speaking. We see in the story that God is persistent, but he's patient. He keeps on calling Samuel even though he isn't responding. <laughs> he doesn't give up on the boy, but he's patient with him. We see that God is gentle you might think that God would be annoyed by calling once and calling twice and calling three times and having no response from the boy, but no. He's gentle with the one who doesn't know him. And so many of us can testify to that in our own life, that when we didn't know God, that he was persistent and patient that he was gentle in calling us in, that he was persistent and patient in showing us his works and his ways, that he was gentle in leading us toward them. It's a glimpse of the character of our great God. It's also interesting to note that when he does speak to Samuel, he immediately speaks things of great substance to him. He's not light or trivial. God is infinitely deep and purposeful. And that by speaking to Samuel, God blesses him.
when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. This also tells us something about the ministry of the word. The content of the message that Samuel receives from God is very difficult. It's difficult for anybody. (laughs) It's especially difficult for a boy, and it's especially difficult for a boy who has not heard him speak before. That message can be summarized in the very simple words of go tell Eli and all the nation (laughs) that Eli's line of priests is now terminated. He will be judged for his sin and the sin of his sons. Try to imagine being a boy who's under the care of the priest who receives the word of judgment. Try to imagine being the boy who lives in the same structure as that man. (laughs) Try to imagine being the boy who has to now go turn around and tell the one who feeds you that God is judging him. What would he do? Would he stay silent? Would he soften the word? Would he worry about his relationship with Eli or his reputation? I can't imagine the pressure that young Samuel is under in that moment. Well, actually I think I can. Because anyone who endeavors to speak God's word or to teach God's word or to engage in conversation around God's word with another person, anyone who endeavors to do that will have this kind of pressure with some regularity. I mean, if, if we come to a section of God's word that's particularly hard or difficult or grates on us the wrong way or challenges our view of the way the world is or challenges the prevailing cultural norms of our day, if it's a hard word, I, well, there's a choice to make. I mean, what if it offends you? What if you think it's boring? What if it's just difficult to grasp? Should I still speak it? Or should maybe we soften it up a bit? Or jazz it up a bit so it's more exciting? Or, or perhaps we should just avoid the unsavory parts? But if we do decide to speak it in the way that God delivers it, will you dislike me? Will you disengage from our church? Will you go somewhere else? All of these things are the pressures of speaking God's word. And Samuel passed the test. He delivered the clear word to Eli in the midst of his fear, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the potential repercussions. And friends, we pray daily that preachers and teachers of God's word pass that same test. 
and do not succumb to the pressure. Sadly, we know that some do, but God is faithful. And he continues speaking and raising up more people who will speak his word. Because when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. When God speaks to us, we benefit from him. And it's so important to recognize that we live in a time right now, particularly in Western culture, where there's a tremendous amount of pressure on churches to have programs that meet people in the midst of all kinds of activities and to have pastors and teachers and preachers who give all kinds of funny, interesting, motivating, inspiring types of messages to kids, to adults, to students. And very often, not always, but very often alongside of those desires, those more external or superficial desires, comes a quiet and subtle call. Teach less of the Bible and give more inspiration. Give less of the details of Scripture tell more stories. Spend less time on application and more time telling jokes. And friends, where this is happening, it is an absolute travesty. (laughs) Because God is speaking right now through his word. And the farther we get away from the details of what he says in his word, in the Bible, the less and less that we will actually hear him speak. This is the hallmark of a healthy church today. We could stand up on Sunday and give you lots of funny stories or lots of great jokes or a steady diet of inspirational living or a lot of good how-to type of messages, but none of them will give life to you. Only God's word can do that. And so God was starting a new season for his people. He was doing something through Samuel. And he was doing it by speaking. And so it says near the end of the chapter in verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. All of Israel would benefit from the boy who becomes the prophet. Simply because God speaks. He is not silent. Friends, I hope that we grow in our appetite to hear God speak more and more. Some of us might ask today even, what if I don't have an appetite for it? I want to hear God. I don't have an appetite for his word. What should I do? It's boring to me or I don't exactly 
understand it or I find it difficult to read or I'm just not a reader at all. And so I don't like to read, but maybe would rather listen. What should I do? And my encouragement would be very simple. It's this. Pray and ask God for that appetite. Because an appetite for God's word is an appetite for God. And I think a lack of appetite for God's word is also a lack of appetite for God. And so pray and say, God, I, I lack the feeling that, that I know I should have. <laughs> Meet me in my place of desire here. And read, and then read, and obey. <laughs> pray, and then listen to God's word, and then obey. Ask God to give you the hunger for him, and by extension, the hunger for his word. Because You can't go through life being near to God and wandering around in the darkness without direction. Because when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. And of course, this causes us to think about, when we think about God's word and how God acts through his word and how God speaks to us and how we benefit from him when he does, we can't help but turn our attention to Jesus. Because Jesus is called the Word who's made flesh. And so we see in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And earlier in verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and his life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Second Peter chapter 1, describing Jesus, the apostle Peter writes, We have received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And now listen to this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Deafness and blindness to God are overcome through his word and through the person of the living word, Jesus. And what we see way back in 1 Samuel 3 of God being silent and beginning to speak is going to be a picture of God being silent to those who don't know Christ but speaking as the new day dawns upon his coming that he may enter into your heart and into your life as you put your faith in him. But the struggle for us today is this, and I close with this. Deafness and blindness are often used to describe, synonymously describe, the battle that we go through in this life. One of the biggest obstacles to your spiritual growth and to your relationship with God is found in this question. Will you listen to God when he speaks? Will you see him as he works? Will you allow 
his words to change your life and to follow him. That is the struggle. That is the struggle of the culture that we live in. That is the struggle of a whole world that would rather you be blind and deaf. And it's described, I think, very pointedly in a short story by the author H.G. Wells. Many of you know H.G. Wells was famous for science fiction novels like The Time Machine, The Invisible Man, and The War of the Worlds. But he once wrote a short story called The Country of the Blind. It's about an inaccessible, luxurious valley in Ecuador where, due to a strange disease, everybody is blind. And after 15 generations of blindness, there was no recollection of sight or color or the outside world at all. And finally, a man from the outside, a man who could see, literally fell into their midst. He had fallen off of a high cliff and survived only to stumble into this forgotten country. When he realized that everyone was blind, he remembered the old adage, in the country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And so he tried at first on several occasions to tell them of sight. Look, look you people, look here. He'd say, there are things that you do not understand in me. And once or twice, one or two of them attended to him, and they sat with their faces down and their ears pointed diligently toward him. And he did his best to tell them of what he saw. But they never believed him. They thought he was crazy. And then the man fell in love with a girl there in the village. And the girl's father, Jacob, went to talk to a doctor about the man, and the conversation ensued something like this. The doctor said, I think I may say with reasonable certainty that in order to cure him complete, all that we need to do is a simple and easy surgical operation, namely, to remove these irritant bodies, his eyes. And then he'll be sane, they asked. Then he will be perfectly sane and quite an admirable citizen. Thank heaven for science, Jacob proclaimed. And Wells goes on to point out that the man would not be allowed to marry Jacob's daughter unless he submitted to the operation that would remove his eyes and to blind him. And so what would he do? He had fully meant to go to a lonely place where the meadows were beautiful with white narcissus and remain there until the hour of his sacrifice should come. But as he walked, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the morning, the morning like an angel in golden armor marching down the steeps. And it seemed to him before this splendor that this blind world in the valley and that his love and all were no more than a pit of sin. And the man who could see escaped the country of the blind with his life. In many ways, friends, that is where we live right now in the country of the blind, or you might say the country of the deaf, to the fact that God speaks. This is a country that's proud of science. It's a proud, it's sure of its health. It's oblivious to the light. It is not only pitiful, but it's 
deadly in its effect. Jesus said, men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And Jesus had his own name for the country of the blind. (laughs) The world. And in his last words to his disciples before going to the cross, Jesus warned them, warned them of the hostility that they would face, just as he had in this blind world. Yet rather than pulling his beloved disciples and followers out of the blind and hostile world, Jesus sent his own spirit into people to convince the world of its blindness, of its deafness, as he sent God's world to word to break through. God is speaking. <laughs> and so the question becomes, are we listening? Because when God speaks to us, we benefit from him. And so it is my most sincere encouragement and my sincere hope, friends, that you would go through your days not as blind or deaf, not as wandering in the darkness without direction, but rather that you would go through your days listening to the one who speaks, who is for you and guides you and corrects you and contends on your behalf for your temporary and your eternal good. Have great trust and great confidence in this word that God gives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for speaking. If we were to fully comprehend what it would be like to have you in silence, we do not know where we would be or what we would be destined to. But you leave us not to such a fate. Help us now, God, to follow you faithfully and clearly, to be motivated to hear you, to be motivated to obey you. Give us all an increased appetite for your voice. Through your word, we pray. And grow us as a result.